The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the discussion of the defense against the Broncos. A big win for the defense, frankly, despite the 91-yard uh, drive, of course, at the end, the longest drive of the season by Tyler Huntley. Uh, really a win for the defense in this one in terms of them keeping us in the game, keeping the Ravens in the game, uh, and eventually giving Huntley a chance to, to uh, put that one drive together that I'm sure he's going to remember for the rest of his life. Uh Let's talk a little bit to, to, today about the pass rush, but joining us here to, to do that is Jason of Huddle It Up Films. Thank you, Ken. Great to be back here for part two. All right. Always a lot of fun. We talked about part one. By the way, 
part one is great. If you want to go back, Jason had some outstanding thoughts, some individual notes about what's going on, a lot of a lot of general thoughts, and we talked about packages a little bit. Um, we're going to hit on pass rush and some individual play discussion in your mailbag in the second part. But uh, go back and, and grab that first one. If you happen to miss it earlier today, you can still download it out there, I'm sure. Uh, and uh, and I would I would say it's a it's a good show because we've got Jason on. It's always a good show when we've got Jason. Dude, that was a fun show too. We got into a lot of different stuff. So that was yeah. Thanks, Ken. So you'll you'll find out what a fan of David Ajabo's Jason is, uh, and and uh, and some relativity between Ajabo and Oway in terms of where we think those two are, what we think might end up happening to Geno Stone, a lot of things uh, for down the stretch here. I uh, need to reach out to our sponsor here uh, to to start this here, and that's uh, Liquid Death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, Great product. Uh, they got some great flavors, and they come in an aluminum can that is very environmentally friendly in terms of being recyclable when plastic typically is not economical to recycle and will end up in a landfill. So if you've got a little greenness, give it a try for that, and then I, I, I would bet you're going to like the, the flavors, in particular the lime seltzer, but uh, uh, please give that product a try. Uh, let's talk pass rush a little bit, Jason. So we saw a McDonald. Sent numbers actually a fair amount, more than I thought he would against Wilson. Now, obviously, there's an idea that you want to get hands up in Wilson's face as much as you possibly can, given his height and uh, some of the troubles you can give him both in seeing the field and in possibly deflecting the football. But still, 10 out of 24 is 42% uh, blitz rate uh, for this game. is been very high for McDonald this year. There haven't been more than a game or two where he's uh, rushed the quarterback that many times with numbers. You know, I had a hard time sometimes deciphering what a blitz was and what wasn't because we were using these five-man fronts with, you know, three defensive linemen in there and then two two edge players. And the Broncos ran a lot of play action, and they ran that kind of zone concept. So they, basically they would have all five of our guys bunched up and cluttered up into one. And I couldn't tell if, you know, the guy on again was responsible for the tight end or not or if he was pass rushing because – they, they were just head to head right off the bat um, in a run rundown situation. So uh, it was, a yeah, it, there wasn't a ton of creativity. Uh, you know, I love the blitzes that we've been running lately, especially since uh, both Marlon when they played him in the slot and Kyle Hamilton in the slot uh, are really effective blitzers coming off that uh, coming off that edge there too. So uh, it just wasn't, it didn't seem like a game where we could really get into the, uh, the pass rush, uh, you know, the bag of tricks say. Yeah, it. I, I mean, I would agree. You don't have a, dro- a pure drop back passer. You have a, a a drop back passer for whom the offensive coordinator really understands his limitations, and is trying to boot him. Is trying to uh, get him to a spot where he can actually see somebody down the field. Uh, and I think there's there's a lot to that that probably created some of the ample time and space uh, situations. And also, I mean, the Ravens just for for all their tenaciousness and relentlessness as pass rushers, they don't have a bunch of one on one winners. They have some guys who can create a good push in the center, whether that's Campbell or, or Washington or Matabike on some plays. Uh, Matabike can generate one-on-one wins. It's still not common for really anybody. Um, and their outside guys aren't, you know, the most toolsy, bendy, dippy guys that you, you will see. I mean, they're just good technical, positional players who, who have often are smart in the case of, of, of Bowser or they are powerful in the case of a player like Owe. And they, uh, uh, you know, they haven't necessarily been uh, been giving the great the, the Ravens great one on one pass rush wins with the with the one exception being Houston. 
Yes, Houston can get you and exploit you in a, a bunch of different ways. But, um, but yeah, you know, you look at JPP uh, away, uh, even Bowser. Dynamic doesn't come to – a dynamic pass rusher doesn't come to mind when you think of those guys. They're just really solid in what they do. Uh, it's better power rushers, I think, overall than they would be, uh, say, a speed rusher, uh, despite Adafio Way's, you know, combine performance and, and uh, obvious athleticism is just not where he is right now in his, his development. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, I'm looking for Matabike to be the one to step back up. Not that he's played poorly, but I would love to see him take over a couple of drives. We see Calais do it, it seems like, especially oh, yeah. early, in, early in games, Ken, where he is just, you know, he, he did the Deacon Jones a couple of weeks ago. I bet you talked about that. He slapped someone upside the head and just threw him out of the way. I want to see that kind of dominance from Matabike, although in a different way, different skill set of him just uprooting people and, and getting to the quarterback because he's capable of it. Yeah, he is, you know, very much a torquey bottom, top to top to bottom, a torquey body, top to bottom, meaning that, He's got so much ability to twist his own frame and rip a guy to the ground when he really wants to. Sometimes he almost overdoes it on some plays, I think. you know. So maybe the better, best option is outside shoulder, inside shoulder, just get rid of that guard to one side with, with minimal effort of your own. But he's so much strength and so much power throughout his body that you, you see a, a lot of almost over-movement of a guard from that three-tech spot sometimes. Yeah, I love it. And it especially, I think it complements what we have on the edge well, because they're a very disciplined group. They're going to be where they're supposed to be. Uh, they're kind of tough to roll out on. There's there, there's, they're very disciplined, I guess, is the word I would keep coming back on. So if you get that penetration up the, up the middle. I mean, Broderick uh, has been dismissing people at a good rate too. He's not a finisher. Calais, like I said, especially early in games, Ken, it seems like he's very disruptive. He always seems to make my notes first two drives, uh, Calais, Calais, Calais. And then, um, you know, but Matabike, I think, is is the guy that drives that all. He's the one with the high ceiling that could really, um, you know, end a drive. You know, it's second and 10. All of a sudden, it's third and 18. Uh, that's the kind of player Matabike is. Yeah, been, I've, I've been very excited with what Campbell's provided the Ravens, too. And in terms of, of our the notes that we take, he consistently gets more notes than anybody. Uh, which Does. is just, I mean, he's around the line of scrimmage, but he makes plays for other people. He drives people into the backfield. He, somebody else is getting the tackle. That's okay. He gets pressures. He gets, he gets quarterback hits and sacks, even though some of them are cleanup or finishers or whatever. That's fine. Uh, you, know, you just see a guy who is consistently playing his assignment very well, generally playing low this year. Not always, uh, but he plays pretty low. And when he's, when he's low, he's very effective. Um, and, uh, you know, just a guy who's, you know, really remarkable. He moves around out there like he's 90 years old, and he may feel like it sometimes in terms of, you know, relative to other players or remembering what he felt like it being a young football player, but he doesn't play like it. He plays like he's, a, you know, a younger, explosive interior pass rusher, which is really what he still is. And in, in addition to that, the one thing that really stands out about Calais Campbell is what I call on the front end of the stun. I believe you could use the same term. The, the uh, under or the looper? The under, that yeah. would be the under. Yes, the under, you know, the, or the front end of the stun, as I call it, where he is, you know, basically, you know, for the first part of the play, just kind of taking up two guys and allowing the looper to come in mm -hmm. and clean up. But if you leave him too early, just a, as soon as you leave him, yeah. he's able to bend back and he's so long that he's getting pressure, getting quarterback hits. 
in a situation where he's he's there to set up somebody else. And it's just a tremendous skill for Calais on that particular uh, assignment that just shows up again and again. We're, we're going to have pretty far down the rabbit hole, but but the, that is certainly a big advantage for Calais. That's a place where length really matters for him, by the way. Power matters too. Like, you know, pad level matters for, for, for that for that matter. But when when you go between two rushers, when you cross the face of an offensive lineman and get into the ribcage area of that second offensive lineman, let's say it's between the center and guard. If he's lining up a typical three-tech spot, you know, he's, he's moving inside to set that pick. Uh, so he's the underneath player on that on that stunt. What he's doing is crossing the face of the guard, catching that right shoulder of the center. Typically, if he's lined up on a right side three tech from the from the offense's perspective, then what what happens is that both the guard and the center end up blocking him, but each at maybe a, an angle, and it could be thirty degrees um, if they're fortunate, or it could be fifteen degrees if they've really done it well. But a lot of times it's forty five degrees, and then somebody has to peel. You know, because there's a there's a looper coming around, and let's say the guard has to peel to pick up the the, the looping player. Um, well, then he's left that center at a tremendous disadvantage in terms of what he does, and that's accentuated by the length that Campbell has and the fact that he's got his hands on that center after he's crossed the face of the guard. He's got at least one hand probably on the on that on that center, and it's usually game over at that point as the under. And I personally, in watching a lot of stunts over the years. I, in particularly the Ravens guys, maybe this is what I've seen with Tim Jernigan, with him, uh, with uh, Trevor Price, certainly be another great under player on, on stunts. It's often the under player who ends up getting a lot of the really great pass rush opportunities. It's not necessarily the looper. The looper peels a player off, and, and he might be the first to get there. But you know that under player actually is further upfield as he's looping, and, and, and typically... You know, it may have a better opportunity when he when he uh, you know when when he's unblocked by one player. And the quarterback has to pay attention to that looper because if he doesn't, he's going to get his head taken off. So I, I you know, you take a step over or a step up or avoiding that looper. And uh, if the under player is doing his job, it, you know, he can clean it up. But yeah, Calais, I think is just I think like Broderick's good at it, and you know, uh, you know, obviously Irving can do it if you ask him to. But there's something about Calais Campbell that has this sixth sense about him when he's doing it to just it's just natural. It's just natural. And uh, so, yeah, I like the, the games that we can play up front with the stunts. Uh, you know, I know you have you track that and keep all the stats, but mm-hmm. interior pressure, there's a few ways to get it. And the Ravens can get it a couple of different ways. We'll jump back to that in a little bit, a little bit later. I want to go through a couple of statistical things and we'll, and we'll come back to some more discussion here. Um, the Ravens really did. Wilson a, a favor when they rushed five plus. He had 10 plays for 120 yards, 12.0 per play, obviously, uh, when they did rush numbers. So that was where they had some of the most successful. I mentioned the ATS 11 out of 24 times. Um, that was 11.1 yards per play. So those 11 plays went for 122 yards. He delivered the ball, threw the ball out quickly 29% of the time. That was seven times for 39 yards. So that, no problem. And the Ravens generated a pressure event only six times the entire game. Six times. 25% of the time. Not acceptable. Not enough. And yet, I'm not sure how they could have gotten a lot more given how the, the Broncos' offense was structured. They rushed numbers. They tried a little bit of deception that was generally fairly effective. We'll get to that in a minute. But but mostly, uh, you know, the, the Broncos did not really give them a chance to get a lot of pressure set up. Like 
getting the ball out quickly or at least being in a position where the ball could come out quickly. And we mentioned it, I think, earlier now and definitely on the first show. It, it's uh, kudos to the Broncos in some way and Clint Kubiak running that offense for really tailoring that game plan. It looks specifically for the Ravens and the talent that the Ravens had, the advantage up front that I thought the Ravens really had in this game. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the talent on the Broncos offensive line, which has been in and out with injuries. I thought we were going to dominate and we did, we did dominate, but they moved the pocket. As you said earlier, uh, I thought that they really emptied out the playbook early on, especially in the run game to really just try to create something against this Ravens defense. And I think, you know, they had the four big plays that we talked about at length. Uh, if we were blitzing on those plays, it certainly skews the numbers. I know that we were, we were blitzing at least on looks like two of them. Um, you know, from what I could tell. All right. So real quickly on the 40 yard, 40 yard play was a five man rush uh, with a single drop from Clark. The 22 was a five man rush with a single drop from Roquan. The 30 was a six man rush with a drop from Humphrey. There you go. So they were all hugged up there, right? Yeah. So those are the three biggest. So and and then there's a play on the first drive. I counted as one of the big plays. It was a 19 yarder. Yeah, that was another five one. So it was another five man blitz. So and a lot of times, Ken, like I said, I couldn't really tell how many we were actually blitzing because there was just a big. It was a big mishmash. I couldn't tell if they were covering them and were able to identify the run right away and realize they were being blocked or or what was happening. yeah, so credit to the Broncos. Sometimes you got to take your hat off. I think overall the pass rush has been good. It shows up in the sack numbers, the ability to finish, but it's a group that I would like to see, if you listen to the first half, like to see Ajabo incorporated there, see if he can give us some extra juice. But, um, you know, it's not a, an Achilles heel like it was when we didn't have numbers early in the season. Yeah, I mean, I, I, still, I, I still feel like this is one of the best defenses, period, in the NFL right now. And it's not just a run defense. And they obviously have set a lot of things up with the run. We talked about that a little bit the first show. But I think this pass rush is a great complimentary pass rush that with the current personnel they have and not facing a team of all quarter horses on the outside kind of thing. We don't want to face – you wouldn't want to face four shifty slot receivers at the same time. You wouldn't want to face two thoroughbreds and two shifty slot receivers at the same time with this team. But, you know, basically for a typical 11 offense that has one sort of limited receiver, I think they're an excellent matchup for that. Yes. And you know what? The Bengals kind of come to mind with that. You know, a lot of people are terrified of the Bengals, but I actually think, you know, Tyler Boyd isn't the quickest, fastest, leaving Kyle Hamilton in the dust kind of guy. Like, you know, I could I could definitely see Marcus Peters is on his game and Marlon keeps playing like he is. Uh the advantages that a team like the Bengals have over almost every other team in the league is minimized against our Ravens. So we just got to play better on offense, Ken. Yeah. All right. If you want the rest of the uh, uh, numbers by pass rusher, go out to the, to the article on the website is posted now. And that has all that in much more detail, but they did give up 7.7 yards per play against the pass. Talk a little bit about schematic. Um, elements that they used, the deceptive elements. They dialed up, dialed up only three individual blitzes the entire game. That's 0.13 per pass play uh, from off the line of scrimmage. Those were all singles. Uh, two were from Smith, one from Clark. The three plays where they blitzed, they allowed 20 yards. Not enough of a sample size really to worry about, but 6.7 per play. Four stunts in this game, all singles again. Now, one of the things you often see, because players will call stunts in-game between themselves, even if, if uh, when no blitz is called, uh, 
So they have that kind of a freedom to do it. And, and particularly with Campbell out there and Jason Pierre-Paul and Bowser out there, frankly. I mean, you've got a lot of guys on the field who'd be interested in figuring out some stunts between them, or, you know, in, in, in live play. But they only did that four times. And one of them was the very big play. And I think this was clearly dialed up from the sideline, was the pick play that Roquan set that ended up being ended up being the sack minus five, but Roquan set a pick that allowed Campbell to go in for the initial pressure, which drove Wilson to the right, right into the waiting arms of Adafi Owe. One of the best schematic plays of the game, obviously, and they, and, and they finished the play. I think Roquan set that up. If I had to, in my opinion, you want to say, okay, well, Owe got the sack. Like, who made that play? I, I thought it was Roquan. You know, when I watched it over and over again, I'm like, man, that's a really nice job by him. He kind of took up the running back, but yet leveraged it in a way where he, it was like you were saying, team defense, Ken. Like, he could have just blown up the running back and, you know, caused a collision or whatnot, but he didn't. He kind of like just took the brunt of the running back in order to kind of slide over to make the quarterback move to where Calais was. And then the Dafio way was a uh, cleanup crew coming from a really wide angle on there, man. He barely made it into the, uh, into the film. He was, he was kind of way out there, a wide nine um, that came in and, and got a sack on that. I'm hearing a little bit, something in the background from you. Is there something rumbling over top or anything on your side? No, it might be the heater, but uh, there's. Right. I don't think there's anything I can do about that at this point. Right. Yeah, no, I was with no it. problem. We'll work through it. I'm sure people will stick with us if they if they've waited this long. Uh, let's talk about. Uh, we talked about stunts. They they showed a simulated pressure on five times. Uh, those plays only went for ten yards. So the little bit of scheme, the little bit of deception, the Ravens uh, Ravens uh, uh, used really worked pretty well. Uh, a lot better than numbers, certainly in this game. And so maybe we'll see more of that uh, down the line. Uh, Houston led the team with shares of three pressure events, as I had a two full and one quarterback hit. Bowser had a pressure uh, and that pass defense at the line of scrimmage, which was absolutely huge drive-ending play. And Campbell had a pressure. He had a late quarterback hit after an ample time space. I don't even count that as a pressure. But it's, a, it's nice to get quarterback hits whenever you can get them, late, early, whenever. But uh, but it, that was that was not the kind of thing that prevents a pass from getting completion, completed, based on on when it occurred. Um, so he had a nice, uh, you know, some nice contributions. The Ravens obviously didn't have a whole lot of total pressures in this game. You know, I was I was going to say, you know, just looking at the numbers here, so it doesn't look like look like we used a lot of deception elements. It looked like when we did use deception elements, they were very effective. Yep. It was almost like uh, we we you know like the Broncos. Uh, you know, respected us. I mentioned in the in earlier in the first show that we really didn't show them a lot of respect. We really didn't empty out the bag of tricks. Our guys were better than their guys on uh, on our defensive side, and uh, the Ravens kind of kind of played like that. You know, four big plays, 111 out of their 189 passing yards right. came on those four big plays. And other than that, it was a big not a. Uh, you know, the closest the Broncos got was our 23-yard line. So great performance by the defense. I don't think we needed all that deception in this game, Ken. Yeah, I would agree. I think that it uh, uh, it, it generally was uh, very effective when they did it. Uh, and, and obviously, the, you know, the, 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 we don't have to go into the numbers again. The numbers didn't work. So, uh, you know, if, if you can only be so deceptive if you're going to bring four, but uh, there are ways to do it. You can drop somebody off the edge of the line of scrimmage and bring somebody off the slot, bring up, bring up safety, whatever you might do. But, uh, uh, you know, they had, they had only so much of that they really wanted to do in this game. 
want to talk about some individual players, bounce uh, some of that back and forth. And Jason, you're the guest. Why don't you uh, come at us with the first player that you think you want to talk about? Okay. Well, uh, see, we have a lot of ch- lot to choose from. I wouldn't say anybody had a poor game. Um, it was just a really good game all the way around. I, I, let's start with Patrick Queen, who was injured, but it was kind of late. I think he said he only missed like seven, ten plays, something like that. Um, you know, I thought that Queen had a number of good plays, but there is a difference. I thought that, you know, he got caught flat-footed on, on one of the big plays. Uh, it was thrown right behind him, the first one, 19 yards to, to Greg Dulcich. And there are, uh, you know, you can see it when it's lined up next to Roquan especially, the reaction time, uh, the getting off of blocks, that there's a difference between a caliber of Roquan's uh, caliber than there, than Patrick Queen. Uh, one thing that a positive can that I picked up on Patrick Queen is not only did he have a number of good plays in this game, but he seems to have picked up the old side shuffle to avoid the blockers that we mm-hmm. see Roquan use all the time. So instead of him, you know, one of my – most frustrating things about Patrick Queen is him getting blocked and he'll play what I call patty cake and just try to hand swipe. And he's not forcing the action at all. I'm seeing him. Okay. Here comes a blocker coming at me. Whoop. I'm going to scoot over laterally and just scoot right back, hop right back to where I, I was in the first place. And that lineman can't keep up with his quickness. So it looked like he picked up a little bit of a, a tricks of the trade from Roquan there. Yeah, I, that that is something very important, and and I, I I would agree. I think we've seen that more uh, during these last few weeks since Roquan's been here, since the Saints game, really. Uh, and, and there's got to be something positive coming. It's not like they're not essentially contemporaries. I mean, Roquan is is what he's in his fifth year now. I think that's right. He was uh, young though too, coming out. I think. Yeah. So. Uh, anyway, they're, they're, they're essentially contemporaries that, you know, Roquan been in the NFL, maybe two more years, but, uh, but there's a big difference in terms of, of where they are in terms of being a finished linebacking, uh, product queen had, had had such a wonderful run going into last week where he'd had either one or zero misses, depending on who you believe I had his one pro football focus has a one pro football reference has it as zero missed tackles over the previous five games. And then he missed four tackles against the, uh, um, the previous game against Jacksonville. But going back to one, that was a big move for him this week. Uh, sorry, going back to none was a big move for him this week uh, from from my point of view. I, 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 I don't believe there's a reason why Patrick Queen ought to regress at this point. Me neither. And, I think... Oh, I'm sorry, Ken. Oh, I just, I, I, I'm just saying I don't... I can't think of examples of players who find this sort of defensive success and then lose it. Uh, I, I'm not saying it can't happen. I just, I just don't think when, when it's basic stuff like shedding box, like tackling, um, you know, using your quickness effectively, usually you show that over a five game period at such a dominant level, you probably are not going to lose it again. And all of a sudden be back to the guy you were before who was having a whole lot of trouble in multiple areas of linebacking. You know, I really just think it comes back to his partner. You know, you can see Patrick Queen. He's always been good at timing up a run blitz, shooting the gap, and, you know, getting a tackle for loss or coming on a blitz and finishing that. And I think when you have Roquan, you can rely on to, okay, we can we can just send Queen right here up this gap. And if he misses or, you know, not that he would miss the tackle, but if it's not successful, he gets stuck where it doesn't work out. You have one of the best linebackers in football 
to come behind him and to be able to clean that up, to slide over a gap, to do things athletically that Josh Bynes can't do in his career. Um, so, yeah, you're getting the best out of Patrick Queen, and you're able to utilize him in ways that just makes him a, a, a tremendously dangerous linebacker. Yeah, and, you know, they've been able to to get a lot more valuable out of him on all downs. They've been he, – he had done some things already this year, in particular against Joe Burrow and showing some awareness behind himself in the, in the past game that had been a little different. It's still the weakest area of what he is, along with maybe some of the recognition of when he needs to take that first step to cover a running back. And in particular – it seems to be if there is any sort of a man responsibility he has for a running back where he has to switch sides of the formation, he often ha- wants to take his first step forward. And, and if that running back moves right to the opposite side of the formation, say if he lines up on the left side, that seems to be an area that the other teams can still exploit. Now, I, I'm, I'm so happy about the tackling, so happy about some of the other elements of man coverage where he's once he gets on a player, I think he's pretty sticky now and, and and is has not been as targeted a player uh nearly i think it's mostly zone concepts still between level two and three which is a area for additional growth still agreed you know there were a couple of times this game where you know i've often described him when he frustrates me is he, he has blinders on he's just so focused on something that he's not seeing the big picture around him and that's i don't think that that's something that just miraculously gets better he can take small steps like he said that one play in cincinnati he took the perfect drop uh you know after getting burned i believe the week before in buffalo a number of the miami game was just uh uh not not a good look but but again there are a lot of things he does well i think that the main things with queen that he needs to clean up with roquan next to him it's just the missed tackles and some some aggressive angles. He can still get caught in the wash every once in a while. There was a play where if he wasn't as physically gifted as he was, uh, a player would have turned the corner for a big game, but he was just able to flatten out that angle uh, after taking an initial poor angle and enforcing the action. Probably gave up a couple extra yards, but but nothing to that. But overall, you know, Patrick Queen, I think, is in a position to make a ton of plays for this defense. I hope that uh, thigh bruise or wherever he got hit, heals up and he's able to play. Yeah. Fairly, fairly comical what the other players did to him after coming off the field and the way he did. But, uh, but anyway, that's, uh, that's life in the NFL. I got to be able to take it in the locker room, I guess. Uh, I'll go, I'll go next. I want to talk about Roquan Smith since we started with queen. Cause I think this was clearly his best game as a Raven. Um, he, he was just outstanding. I look at his at 12 tackles, sorry, 11 tackles. He was involved in seven of them were defensive wins. Uh, that's just a fantastic number for one game. And he made contributions all over the place. He made contributions as a tackler. He made contributions um, setting up pass rush plays. Uh, he made contributions in coverage and being a guy who was one of the many who stopped people short of the sticks on short passes on third down. Uh, and just a, a fantastic all-around performance and exactly what we hoped we were getting in terms of uh, – of, uh, the guy who was playing for the Bears. And if you look at Roquan's games here in Baltimore, he's played at a substantially higher level coming from the Bears. And and I don't I don't want to harp on this too much because of, of what this is. I predicted that would happen. Because you know, just you come out of a unit that is just a you know a lower light in the NFL in terms of their ability. You put him in the middle of a bunch of guys who certifiably know how to play football, a defensive line that is, you know, gonna do what needs to be done in front of him. You know, a, a set of 
defensive backs and particularly safeties who are not going to make him look like complete idiots if he misses an occasional play behind him in between level two and three. I mean, it's still going to happen, but, you know, are, are not going to be too bad about that. And, you know, it just has a much better chance to roam and excel. And he's not only done that himself, but I think he's made Queen better at it since he's got here. It's just a, a complete linebacker and so much fun to watch and a sight for sore eyes, in my opinion. And it's just there's a, a professional level towards him that I just love everything he does high level. Um, you know, is he going to make a couple of mistakes of coverage from now? Of course, you know, he's, he's not a perfect player, but there's nothing that I can say, Oh man, this is just, this frustrates me with him. If he exceeds expectation, the way he's able to dodge blocks, like I uh, explained with queen picked up one is amazing is for someone who doesn't have like a considered blazing speed, Man, this, is he an absolute bullet when he heads towards the sideline? And he's not looking to jump on somebody's back, Ken. Uh, he is taking ownership of every tackle. He doesn't care if, uh, you know, who's in his way. He is going to take that man out of bounds. He plays with a sheer attitude, finishes tackles, knockback tackler. Yep. Uh, it's going to be a really interesting decision to see how the Ravens handle him this offseason. It both, you know, course with Lamar and everything else uh, because he is a, a great player I think that makes a difference on all three downs both him and Queen can blitz really well too uh, which we didn't mention so it gives you it gives you some options there uh, some speed I mentioned him filling on the outside where some of these ends are crashing uh, just love Roquan Smith it's been a pleasure to watch him since he's come here yeah, absolutely I I'm uh, I could be more happy the way it's worked out so uh, you pick Queen I pick Smith your turn again Yes. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and take Ardarius Washington. And I would just say that it was an incomplete for me. I didn't really get to see him do his thing. I didn't get, I don't have a good feel to whether I'd rather have him on the field other than Stevens, or if I'd rather have Stevens, or if I'd rather have Pepe who clearly has lost some of the coach's confidence. Um, but yeah, with, with Ardarius, he wasn't given uh he was targeted, I believe once. And it, it, he, he was kind of beat on the plate. Chuck Clark kind of made up for him. Um, but there really wasn't a lot to go by. So that's kind of a TBD for me. Um, no real faults on our Darius. It would be nice if he could contribute uh, and cover some smaller, quicker receivers if uh, teams want to go to four wide receivers on us. Yeah, that, that really is the question. So let me ask you, let me pose it back to you this way. If you are faced with a situation where you have to use a slot corner now, who do you pick among the four kind of options we'll call it. So you don't really have Jalen Armour Davis around right now because of the injury, but you have Pepe, you have Brandon Stevens, and you have Ardarius Washington. Who, who's your guy among the three non-Jads of that group? Well, I think that the most ideal situation is to have Pepe or Ardarius step up, but I mean, that's that doesn't seem to happen. So my, my question would be basically, who is the number two guy? Uh, not who is the number three guy who we're saying we're going to put this guy on. Can Brandon Stevens handle, like I thought in the Jacksonville games, it would be Marvin Jones. You know, okay, well, Marvin Jones is an outside receiver. If they put Christian Kirk in the slot or Jay, Zay Jones in the slot, I'm not going to trust Pepe to, to really cover them. We're going to have to put Marlin in the slot or else we're going to get burned all day. Do you trust, you know, who? basically it has to do with both of the personnel across from me because I don't have – complete confidence in any third cornerback. The best scenario is if, you know, Kyle Hamilton can match up as that, yes. uh, that third DB. 
And and I think that's where the team will go from now on. I think they've shown already, based on what we've seen, with only with the exception being, you know, hey, do we need to stop somebody short of the sticks on 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 third and eight, third and ten when we really want to put in a pass rush package? Then I think they still could go to a player like our Darius Washington. But but I don't think it really makes sense on a down by down basis to go with your nickel, including anybody but Hamilton at this point. Uh, given given the choices they have, I just don't, they don't have anyone who is who is so exciting that that he should be taking snaps away from Hamilton. There you go, there you go. So, do you have uh, uh, someone else? Yeah, let's talk about Broderick Washington because I think he's he should get some love for this game. He certainly was a guy who set up a lot of plays in the game. Didn't necessarily have a big. I think he might have only had one tackle in this game, which just is the kind of number that just just really surprises you when you see how effective he is play after play. But yeah, that's Washington had. Had one, he had, he had two tackles in the game. Uh, so, you know, I, I've got the plays out there listed in the article. If you want to go out there, he's in the star treatment section because I thought he was one of the really Ravens effective players. But one thing you'll notice is there's a disproportionate number of snaps relative to the other linemen where Broderick Washington is just pushing into the backfield. So if you look at the third and one play that immediately preceded the fourth and one, um, he backed up. Glasgow, the center. Now, Glasgow had a lot of problems in this game versus multiple multiple players. He's a six foot six center, doesn't play particularly low enough to be effective. But um, he backed him up on third and one on that very first third and one they actually made. And unfortunately, no other defender could exploit that situation. Murray ran for two. They they got that. But then on the next third and one, where they ended up stopping him, uh, he shed Risner, who's a left guard, and forced the run right for Matabike only after some time had elapsed to get into position to, to work off minors and make the tackle with Queen. Now, it was, a, it was a run for zero, but that that play is all Washington in terms of retracking that running back on the play, getting into the backfield. Didn't get any tackle credit on the play, but if you look at that play, Q1-642, um, he really set that up. There were more of these on the play. Uh, he was part of the of the uh, uh, Smith play where this Roquan play where he took down Mac for a, for a run left for minus one. So there were multiple plays in this game where he didn't get the tackle, but he certainly set up the tackle and uh, definitely deserves a, a, some spotlight for, uh, for his excellent play. Been one of my favorite players this season. And I love his progression from 2020 mm-hmm. until now. In 2020, he was obviously strong. That 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 stuck out to me. I'm sure you got tired of hearing me say that when our, all our offseason. Uh, like, man, country strong. Broderick is just strong. And he's just added, slowly added some technique uh, to the point now, Ken, where um, it's really hard to single block him. It's really hard to single block him. But he's going to shed you like we saw um, at a level from – uh, say Derek Wolf in 2020, where it was just, you know, a clinic of just long arming somebody and just throwing him out of the way whenever he wanted to. Broderick has just that got that kind of strength. And now he's added the technique to be able to have that strength come into play. And um, Ken, you know, when you were talking there, I just couldn't help but think when I put together my end season highlights for some of the players, they're not getting stats, the defensive linemen in particular, they're oh, not getting stats. stats. Yeah. They're not getting stats. It's like, if you if you just wanted to go through the stat sheet and say, oh, one tackle for Washington, let me see that play. Sometimes those are the worst plays. Yep. Sometimes those those are the you know the worst plays. So um, complimentary defense, but Broderick Washington is setting things up for other people. You said that really well, and you know I'm really proud. Also, I'll kick it back to you on this, Ken. 
he's playing a lot of nose tackle and taking on double teams for a guy that you wouldn't, you know, think of as a nose tackle. And he's done really well with that too. Like corkscrew, he's harder to move than say Meta BK, I would say in those kind of double teams. Yeah. And he's undersized clearly for that. If they're not running a concept where they double him up and he's, and he's on the nose, it's bad news for the offensive line. They got a zone blocking play and they're, you know, they're trying to make sure no one penetrates across anybody's face or whatever. I mean, he'll, He'll wreck that play in terms of uh, getting there. If they ever leave him in a position where he gets a one-on-one in a center, forget it. He had a couple of those in this game where he where he uh, dealt with Glasgow with some degree of ease. Um, and, and then he's shown, I think he's he's been the guy they probably thought they were getting as a three when they drafted him. And, you know, his story was not clear. I mean, you know, he's one of the only young defensive linemen, so you figure he probably makes the team this year. But he's also a third-year player who hadn't done a whole lot at the NFL level in his first two seasons. And, you know, coming into camp, I thought there was really a possibility they might end up cutting him. They had the very deep defensive line position. They had guys who, you know, a lot of people have loved from, from from their occasional play like Isaiah Mack, but not absolutely did he have a roster spot coming into this year. Um, I was going to disagree with you, though, so maybe I should have stayed on mute. I never had him outside on the outside looking in. I thought, like, the Ravens love big, strong, run-defending types. Right. So, yeah, I, 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 he was one of my, like, players to watch out for this year. He he said he wants to get better at the pass rush. I don't I don't really see that happening, but um, for what he is, which is a very durable player, very steady player, um, what a, it's a great pick for a fifth-round pick. That, yeah. You know, that, that's what you want out of a fifth. You take that every time from a fifth round pick. Uh, Arthur Jones. I mean, he's just in a lot of ways. He's he's got some similarities there in terms of a guy you uh, you pick up cheap and he ends up being a lot better than uh, than you'd hope. I, I, I was actually a little afraid because he was more of a of a traditional three tech than you would like on a line that values a lot of positional versatility. And they've got some, you know, they've got urban who can play a, a few different positions. They've got Campbell who certainly can play pretty much anywhere you ask him to. Uh, so it's not like they need, they need it from everybody, but on a team that doesn't have, um, you know, multiple nose tackles now, you, you think that that might be a place where you get slowed down and you're right to bring up the point that I think he's done pretty damn well when he's been asked to, to be, to be slid in a one or zero. Well, that's that's the part that surprises me because without Michael Pierce, we we you know it's Travis Jones or Boston, yeah. and I'm like, man, who the heck? You know, there's no Aaron Crawford or, um, you know, you know, Cleo, Cleo Mack obviously is more of a three tech. He's undersized. I'm like, man, you know, I'm not talking about passing downs either. I'm talking about a, a, a pass or a rundown, a, a second and seven where you you're really not sure. Uh, Braddock's shown that to have that so. You can. We had a, uh, a question about Adafio Way. Maybe he could be the, the next player sure. I bring up here. What's the um, question? First of all, let's let's make sure that person gets recognition. Yes, let's let's get him in. It's at Ravens Andrew. Uh, thank you, Ravens Andrew. Uh, somebody that I've uh, uh, contributes to my tweets and interact with on my tweets. I should say regularly. So thanks a lot, Andrew. I appreciate you. He says Away is a divisive figure in the Ravens community. Film study rates him higher than the community, but the fact remains that he has only two sacks. How would you assess Away's season so far, especially in light of being a first-round pick? Hashtag film study mailbag when you send in your questions. So there you go, Mr. Host. Well, I guess I go first because my guy. Sure, your guy. Andrew, I just want to see more. And I, I, I keep, you know, I don't I don't like the amateur psychologist part of sports, but it, sometimes it's inevitable. And I just think that he needs to get out of his own head. I think he needs to realize he's not Justin Houston. 
He's not going to get to Justin Houston's technical level of pass rush anytime soon. That he just needs to be a power rusher, be comfortable in his own skin, be what he is, and be the best version of himself. Disruptive. Uh, you know, let's give people a headache. Let's make them sore in the morning. Uh, let's fly around. Let's be ultra aggressive. Ken, I do not like when I see a tight end handling a Dafio way. That's the part that says to me, this man is hesitant. There's something he's overthinking. I can almost see the thought bubble. So yeah, you know what, Andrew, um, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to call him a bust or any of that crazy stuff you hear on Twitter, but I will say that I expect more from him. I, I want to see him play fast and free. And and to just step it up and be disruptive. He doesn't have to be an eight sack guy. Just just give me a couple of plays a game where I can say, "Wow, that was that was special." Well, I, I think we will see more of the rest of the season for for a couple of different reasons. First of all, they're playing late in the season against some offensive linemen who are not the number ones anymore. Um, but more than that, I think by him getting to get away from that Sam linebacker role, I think that was really holding him back. So it was some dropping the coverage. It was some having to worry about the tight end. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it seems counterintuitive. It seems like if you're an outs, if you could play on the outside shoulder of the tight end, you'd rather do that than playing on the outside shoulder of a tackle. Not really true for the great pass rushers. The great passers generally want to play on the outside shoulder of a tackle. And the reason it's why they call it the rush position is you're, you're playing on that weak side and, and rushing the quarterback. But you want to have a, a, a set responsibility that allows you to fan out that player rather than get chipped as often and also gives you the opportunity to come up with a pass rush plan. And while I appreciate your comments about getting out of his own head, if Adafi Owe does not really work hard to be a pass rush plan guy, he'll have missed his boat as a, as a player. He's a better athlete than anybody he'll ever face across from him at left tackle. Not necessarily than every other pass rusher at, the, at that position. I'm not saying that, but he's, he's a better athlete than every other left tackle he'll ever face. And, you know, assuming that's the, the, the rush side, every tackle, it doesn't matter which side he lines up on. But the, the point of that is that his first move should cause an overreaction to it. And that's what will make his second move so powerful. So he needs to be a pass rush playing guy, develop three tools in the kit or more, spin move, Eurostep, you know, dip, whatever it might be, that will be the second move and learn exactly what the timing is at the NFL level to make that tackle make a mistake. It's like Jackson learning leverage. You know, how long did that take him? I, I have no idea, but he's extremely good at a 22-year-old, but he's probably been doing it since he was seven. You know, in terms of of, uh, of Adafi Owe, obviously a little later getting to football. And, you know, it, it, it probably is a case where it's going to take him a little time longer to get the timing right on that. And so, you know, it may be 26 years old before he's really a, a, a great pass rusher. But I think he's going to get there. And I think that the Ravens actually out of necessity set back his development this year by by having him on the rush end. I'm absolutely not concerned about his, his future as a pass rusher. There you go. I am, I am though. I, I, I kind of, I, I think he could, I think, I don't think we disagree much with the, I'm not saying uh, he doesn't, he shouldn't have a pass rush plan. I'm saying that, you know, if you look at a play like Justin Houston, that's not the style player I envision Adafi away being with this, you know, just technical master, great bend. I see him more as a violent hands, a violent, you know, sure. uh, slashing type, uh, not a technician, a slashing type physical player. So, um, I think he's trying to be too cute, 
you know, if when I see tight ends handling him, that tells me, look, he's overthinking it. He's trying to be too cute. Maybe he's trying to be too disciplined. Maybe, you know, I, I said I could see the thought bubble come over. Nah, I don't want to see that. I just want to see him attack, attack, attack. Stop trying to be Justin Houston, say, and be a Daffy away for the rest of this season, at least, you know, um, you know, that's, that's what I would like to see. A Jabo strikes me as a Justin Houston type where it's just natural for him on his feet to react to what the tackles doing. And, but, um, you know, I keep waiting for a way to stress someone with this first step. And it's been, you know, a year and a half. We, we really haven't seen that kind of get off the line of scrimmage for him, which concerns me. Well, certainly what was was what Suggs became at the NFL level was a power rusher who'd give you great run defense. And as much as we remember Suggs fondly for a number of his sacks and the forced fumbles that were occasionally caused, Terrell Suggs was a good pass rusher who was a generational run defender. Dynamic. And, you know, yeah. Just unbelievably great run defender. And he was one of those few players, him, Nada, and Ray Lewis, allowed the Ravens to stop the run out of nickel. And that was all, all the all the things you can think about that were great about that def, the defenses of the Suggs, Nada, Lewis era, and they, and they played together for what about seven years, right from six to twelve. Yeah, it sounds right. Uh, yeah, yeah, seven years. So all the time those guys were together—that's a tremendously long time for three players on defense to play together. Um, that's a lot of advantage given out to defensive backs to do their job properly to not have to overcommit to the run, to be having your ins- to your other guys in those three spots in particular not be that great. Um, that was just a that was a huge advantage. And, and when you look at the Ravens' long history of stopping the run effectively, uh, it starts with those three guys in terms of, uh, of how great they were. Yeah, I'm just shaking my head, holding back tears here, because, of course, Ed Reed was on the back end of that yeah. uh, trio too. So uh, what a beauty. But, yeah, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of this year. You know, we were say like in this Broncos game to related to, it came out tight end centric, uh, almost averaging two tight ends per play. And that's including the garbage time where obviously they had to open it up and we played a lot of big nickel, um, you know, so having those edge setters, like we were talking about definitely does open it up to get a, another safety, a third safety, like Kyle Hamilton on the field and not have to overplay the run with some bigger bodies. So uh, I love that. Great question from Ravens. Andrews. I, I really appreciate you, buddy. Give us one more player. We'll talk MVPs, and then we'll get to the rest of the mailbag if we can. Sure. Um, let me talk about somebody who's not on my – you know what? Let's talk about uh, Marlon Humphrey. Uh, I just want to say in general this is uh, – it's just so refreshing to see and such a good sign. Marlon, you know, didn't have a terrible year last year. He had a bad year for his standards. He's mm-hmm. still a very good cornerback, and it just – you talk about how one player can make the whole defense go – he is by far, I think, the most indispensable player on this defense. Without Marlon Humphrey to to do some of the shadowing and to do some of that like uh, match zone stuff that we like to do, where Marlowe just is going to take your your Chris Godwin or whoever he is. The, there's one great receiver on the team that you need to stop, um, and you can play zone around him. I just want to give Marlon Humphrey's credit. He did not stand out in this game because, as you mentioned, Ken, they did not challenge him at all. Um, another thing about Marlon is his tough tackling physical player uh, made a nice stop with Roquan to be able to come off his guy, come downhill uh, to stop the Broncos. I believe one or two yards short to force either a field goal attempt or a punt. You talking uh, about the sack? It, no, no, it's, it wasn't the sack. It was a, it was like a seven yard completion on mm-hmm. third and nine say, 
uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the date and the, the, the timestamp here, uh, but he was carrying a receiver way downfield. Receiver was running a go and it was a, you know, a short, uh, like a, a pass to a tight end or something over the middle, say five yards in the field. And Marlon Humphrey and Roquan closed on that thing uh, without any fear and stopped the, the Broncos like a yard or two short of the, the goal to go. It either forced a field goal or forced a punt. I believe it forced a field goal because they were on our side of the field, I think. But, um, you know, nonetheless about that play, Marlon, tough player, fearless, fast, and probably the most indispensable guy on that defense. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, in terms of the talent drop-off, you could clearly point to that. And what the hell would the Ravens do in terms of right cornerback if they lost Marlon Humphrey? I, I have no idea. So uh, definitely an indispensable guy. Let's uh, let's talk some MVPs here. Uh, I've got my 3-2-1, but you're the guest. You go with your number three guy first. All right, my number three, Chuck Clark, gave him a shout-out in the first show. Made my notes a number of times, both in uh, mainly in the run support. He was a, he was a maniac and uh, – and as usual, it's just some tough, tough plays, man, for that Chuck Clark made. Um, I had him probably make the notes uh, more than anybody else. Uh, there were just two players that really stood out to me ahead of him. Uh, credit to Chuck Clark, though. One of his better games of the season here against the Broncos. Covered up on the back end. They didn't really challenge us downfield, but I do think that he took away a couple of throws, especially the one throw where um, yes. uh, Ardarius got beat. Uh, and, and Chuck Clark was there over the top to make Russell Wilson have to uh, manipulate that ball to a point where it wouldn't be intercepted by Chuck Clark. So definitely a standout game for him. Yeah, I, I, I like that from Chuck as well. And I thought that on that particular play you're mentioning, the long pass with, where where Ardarius was kind of dragging the route, if you want to say that. And, and Chuck, uh, he got there just in time to be the bracket player on that. But more importantly, he didn't overcommit to it and and commit a physical foul that that that, that would have given him a first down and probably, frankly, lost the game at that point. Because if they if they you got to let that receiver try and catch the football at that point and not take any risk at all with with uh, a penalty that that frankly, if they get another field goal, the game's over. Great so. point. Great point. And I watched it over and over again, slow motion, and then, you know you never know. But if I had to guess, Russell Wilson saw Chuck Clark and had to put the football more inaccurate. Like it seemed to me he yes. clearly had to put it more lead towards the, the sideline. Yeah, he could not lead uh, KJ Hamler or whoever it well, wasn't Hamler, whoever that was, he couldn't lead him into the end zone. He kind of had to slide him towards the side. The, film, the throw was more towards the sideline than uh, it should have been. And I think that was because Chuck was come screaming in there. Yeah, it was it was definitely deeper too. It was Montrell Washington was the receiver. He's that Thank 5'10 you. guy out of Stanford. Just a rookie this year, but uh, but got good speed, and and it was too, a little bit too much for Washington, clearly, on the play. And it's good to see Clark take the good angle and and get there in time. Uh, my number three guy is Broderick Washington. We've talked about a lot of what he did in terms of making plays with and for others, but he's a big part of this Ravens complimentary defense. I'll leave it at that. Love him. Just love Broderick as a player. Just spoke about him a little while ago, so I, I really don't have much to add. But his play strength is outstanding. He's added technique to it. He looks like a Raven defender right there in the middle. It just sticks out clear as day. How about your number two guy? My number two guy, I put Calais up there. Just a number of professional football plays in this game. Uh, a couple of almost uh, just setting up. We mentioned the uh, the sack that Away had. He played a big part in that. Uh, just doing all the dirty work. I could have I could have had him and Broderick. Broderick and Calais on the list, but I, I picked Calais as my number two guy here. 
Uh, also for me, I, it almost seems boring because he's he's in our star treatment all the time. He's got so many notes that come up. Part of that is a product of he's at the line of scrimmage, so he's visible on the broadcast video when we do the notes. Uh, if uh, the, the defensive article comes out before I have a chance to look at the All-22. So any adjustments have to be made by this show, if possible, but also based on, on our other activities, I don't even always get a chance to watch every play on the All-22 the way you are talking about it earlier before we do this show because we've got offensive line scoring to do, uh, you know, whatnot. So I do the best I can. And uh, Campbell ends up being obviously on the notes just a tremendous amount. Uh, still doing an unbelievable workload at, at this point in his career and making a lot of plays for other players. A lot of, you know, what pressure the Ravens did get was he was involved in uh, in terms of some of that. And I really like the way he's still able to know when Wilson was going to leave the pocket to be able to move with him and still force him out of bounds on that big play that made it a 63-yard field goal and not, say, a 60-yard field goal. Yeah, yeah, it was it was nice. I mean, he Russell's clearly faster than him. Uh, Russell Wilson, mobile quarterback that is still mobile. Like I would still consider him uh, a mobile sure. player compared to other quarterbacks. So you can see, like it, it, I always pay attention to that. Uh, he's somebody that I use when people talk about Lamar, and I'm like, well, Russell Wilson, how old is he? Ken, do you know thirty? What thirty five, thirty six? He might only thirty four. You're right. All right. So, so what do you think Lamar's going to look like at thirty four if he's fortunate? Like Russell enough? Wilson. <laughs> right. It's 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 not like he's going to be a statue back there. Um, that's my point in Lamar's longevity. Just to bring it back to Russell Wilson, but 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 uh, Calais, yeah, chased him down and just made him widen it out enough, man, for uh, the Ravens win there. Uh, my number one guy is Roquan Smith. Just a just a complete game from him. Uh, like I said, it, it's not to bash Patrick Queen, but there were a few plays that he really showed up for his buddy Patrick Queen. Uh, it's one sideline play I can remember where Queen got walled off, and it was hit to his side. The, dude, the 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 tackle that was attempting to cut off Roquan couldn't even make a move to block him. Uh, as far as like couldn't like reaching his arms out was a futile effort. He was mm-hmm. that far away. Roquan had already broke that hard. Um, you know, every once in a while, I think Roquan's aggressiveness can uh, can work against him. But I mean, what an outstanding game for him! You could I mean you could mark him down for all these run stops and all the times that the Broncos ran the game, had, uh, ran the ball in this game. Roquan just paid off in spades in this particular matchup. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I agree with all that. I, there were three pass tackles he made. On short yardage, one for five, one for six, one for four. And they were all short yardage kind of things. I mean, none of them were plus zeros, but they were short yardage where they where they were stops that the Ravens got value out of. Uh, one of them actually forced a punt. It was a, a two plus four on third and nine. So they gave him six yards. But, you know, he knows where the six are. That might have been the play I was talking about where Marlon and him screamed up and stopped it. That, that may have been because um, he was carrying his guy downfield, but – just cut it. He did. His eyes are just so good. Cut it off and came and made that stop. So, yeah. Yeah. I did not have Marlon involved in that tackle. I'm looking at the game book. They don't have Marlon involved in it. That's why I was confused by it. And I I was trying to find it. I think that Marlon had something to do with where that player could have gone. Like he came screaming up and set, set the edge quote unquote, even though it wasn't that right. And just ran that guy back into Roquan. But, uh, but yeah, Marlon broke on that play too. That's, that's probably the one Ken. Sure. That, that, that does make sense. Um, uh, there are, there are contributions in multiple ways is the key for me is that 
He was stopping the run. He was supporting the stop of the run. He's shedding blocks effectively. He's obviously supporting the pass rush by getting that nice pick play. And he's and he's making downhill tackles in space. So Roquan, easy number one for me. By far his best game as a Raven to date. Uh, so far ahead of the others, it's not even funny. Uh, and, and you know, he didn't even have a turnover in this game. That's what's so cool about this is that, you know, we, we could see some more big play magic come out of it. So this is basically a lot of, a lot of outstanding small ball, if you want to call that some great, you know, downhill pass plays and some, you know, some real nice run stops. And that's all the Ravens need from him. I mean, if they, if he does this every game, the Ravens are going to be more than happy to give him, you know, the money he wants next year. She's going to want more. By the way, Ken, we have two games against the Steelers coming up in our last Mm -hmm. five here, two against the Steelers, one, one against the Falcons and, you know, Roquan and Kyle Hamilton. I think it's going to make a huge difference in these games where we've seen the Steelers in particular, nickel and dime us through the years with these short passes. And we have, you know, we're getting off of blocks late. We have Marlon was always good at it. Tavon was good at it, but he was always injured. We're going to have Roquan Smith and Kyle Hamilton flying around for all these little short passes that Pittsburgh and and Atlanta have to manufacture. That's 60% of our games. Uh, So, yeah, maybe against the Bengals, Roquan doesn't make a big difference, but there are going to be opponents could help us in the seeding here. Hey, I I think he'll be a huge help. But it it also it'll help that it's Pickett and not Roethlisberger. Roethlisberger is kind of a master of getting rid of the ball quickly. He's always throwing from up high. So there's not the same risk of getting the ball tipped at the line of scrimmage. And, you know, the Ravens just are a much better matchup for the Steelers offense at this point, even though the Steelers still have a fair number of talented receivers, you know, that they're in a position to, um, uh, you know, defend them better just because it's picket because the, the difference in, in pass rush and, uh, and uh, certainly in some of the coverage players that the Ravens have with Hamilton being the really key one, I think against the Steelers. Man, great, great point. And I just, I guess maybe it's just tackling overall. I just feel so much better. You see the range of Kyle Hamilton and the jump that he gets on it. And the same thing with Roquan, it just makes a, you can be fast and, and everything else. Um, but there's just a real difference with these guys on the field than before when they weren't on the field. And uh, I think that that's a big reason that we've seen these defensive numbers continue to uh, improve over the course of the year. All right. Outstanding. Let's, let's try to take a few more questions here before I let you go here. Uh, This is an interesting one from Jeff B says, rank these four corners, JAD, Washington, Stevens, Pepe. So I think we actually kind of talked about this, but how would you rank those four right now? You know, I, well, okay. So Jalen Armour Davis, I haven't seen any. I can't put him above anybody else uh, on that list. And then he said it was Pepe, uh, Ardarius, and who else? Uh, Stevens. I would have oh. to put – yeah, I would have to put Stevens number one. Um, at least I, I feel like there are receivers that we can match up Stevens with that I feel comfortable with. Like, like a Marvin Jones for Jacksonville. I, th- I thought for sure Marvin Jones was going to be on the left side where he usually camps out. Uh, and instead, the Jags were smart and put two receivers that we couldn't handle on that right side of our defense. Um, yeah, I would have to go Stevens one. Uh, Pepe, I'm a big fan of. I would put him up ahead of our Darius Washington and then, uh, and then J.A.D. fourth. Okay, so mine is conditional, I think. I, I, I am in the same position of Pepe and Ardarius relativity right now. And I don't know why they chose to uh, deactivate Pepe and activate Ardarius Washington. That's obviously, that's a very big deal. The fact that they did that 
in these one of two things. Either Ardari, uh, uh, Pepe has some minor injury that they that didn't really expect, which could be, or he could have been sick. You know, there could have been a couple of things on Saturday. He might have turned up sick and not by the final injury report kind of thing. That's fine. If it was for something like that, okay. But if it was for real practice ability and Pepe is making some mistakes, then I had to trust the coaches and I think put Ardarius ahead of Pepe at this point. With Stevens, I, I don't think I'd put him ahead of, of either of the other two guys. But the, but the thing I like Stevens for is if, if anybody forces you to do chase with Humphrey, then I'm probably more comfortable just going with Stevens on the outside than either of the other two guys. So if, if I have to do that, if I'm forced into that, then you do it. And another possibility is if the Ravens are ever forced into a place where they have to really play four frontline defenders, where they, where they, you know, somebody's spreading the field with a lot of 10 or they're, they're, you know, putting running back wide on a lot of plays. I don't necessarily want queen handling that. And I would, I would probably prefer that a player like Pepe or a player like, uh, like Stevens maybe is covering him depending on whether I want physicality or shiftiness for the particular running back in question. So I think if I, if I have to spread to four wide in terms of cornerbacks, then, then I, I probably want Stevens again in on the outside, move Humphrey inside and then go with one of these two slot guys. Ken, may I go, may I go again on this? Okay. I, I, I think really that we have, we have two categories. You have Stevens and, and Armour Davis to me are clearly both have no future in the slot. They're both should be outside guys. And then Pepe and Ardarius to me are pure slot receivers slot cornerbacks excuse me from what i've seen in the game the player out of those four who has performed the best in my opinion is pepe like when he's gotten beaten it just seems like he's just a hair late when it yeah. comes to tackling it's pepe but i have to defer to like you say ken we don't know what's going on in practice um so uh, brandon stevens on a big outside receiver i would take that number one pepe number two our Darius haven't seen it jad really haven't seen it from him so right so jad is still a developmental player is, is what i think what we're taking away from this I, i'm not even sure there's there's a real choice to be made among the others and it may just be situational so the, the, the coaches clearly have to make that choice but uh but we'll live with it as fans whatever it is we'll, we'll root for it right and, and those four, it's not it's not like we have to be pissed off at at greg roman for running the offense a certain way which it seems to be the the big Thing to do Ken, in Baltimore. We're two hours in, and there has not been one Greg Roman yeah, reference good. there, Ken. and we're not going to have one right now. Okay, so uh, Jeff had two other good questions, but I'm going to I'm going to talk to him about those on Twitter because I want to get to some of these other people. Um, Adam Harrell says this: "Thanks as always for pulling this together. Uh, it is our relative lack of effectiveness when rushing five plus a trend at this point, or is it limited to this game?" I would the Ravens four man rush has been quite effective this year, but I'm not sure that um, uh, McDonald feels like he can stay with it the same way with the back end being in the kind of trouble that it is right now. So it may be he feels like rushing five plus is, is going to be his best choice. Obviously, it was not the best choice against the Broncos. They were too effective at getting the ball out of Russ's hands quickly and, and beating it, frankly, too often. Uh, for what they did. So I, I'm going to say it's limited to this game more than a general problem. I think that the gen, the more general problem is the back end is a little weaker than the front end right now. And so they need to try and leverage what they can do in the front end. 100% what Ken just said. He said it better than I could. And I would just say that if we play a team like the Chiefs say, that would be where you would get a, uh, you know, a quarterback that's going to hold the ball and make plays. That's when you want that. Uh, that's when you want that, blitz, that type of, 
uh, five man rush to to come in handy. But if you're playing a short passing offense like there, you might as well just call it a day and rush four. You know, we haven't seen basically the entire McDonald era, and I'm not saying there might not have been one or two of these, but I don't think we've seen, other than goal line plays, a, uh, a cover zero blitz so far this year. I don't think we've seen, you know, the, the basically both safeties come down, everybody rush and nobody drop, you know, kind of thing. I don't think we've seen that this year. And yeah. I, I'd have to look back at the, I mean, the number of six-man rushes is actually fairly low for the entire year. Uh, I do have that number. Let me see if I can pull that up. Uh, right and now. I'll comment while you while you yeah. go ahead. I I feel like we've seen a cover a cover zero look a couple of times, but not actually sending everybody. Uh, I could be yes. wrong. I, I'm I'm going straight to the memory bank here, but I feel like there's been maybe I want to say three or four times where we've had every single person crowded at the line of scrimmage, but not all of them came. Somebody bailed from that. Okay, so in twelve games. They've only rushed six 14 times. And they've uh, allowed 9.1 yards per play when they did it, have not gotten a sack yet. Boy, that's really bad to rush six 14 times and not get a sack. When they've rushed five. Sounds like Wink's team. Yeah, well, when they've rushed five, they've gotten a high percentage of sacks, actually, 19 out of 111, which is really good. But when they haven't gotten home, they've gotten burned. So 17% sack rate, but a – uh, 6.6 yards per play allowed. When they've rushed four, they've only allowed 6.1 yards per play, so a little better in that way, but they've got 18 sacks in 318 plays. Also, though, 13 turnovers. So they've had a very good, nice turnover rate with a with a four-man rush. So, uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't think there's – in terms of how McDonald has mixed it up this year, there isn't anything there that says me he's doing it wrong. I think that they're all fairly – uh, solid and that sack percentage on the five man rush is fantastic. So I'm sticking with my answer. It's the, it's there the, you go. it's this game only. There you go. Yep. That's great. Hey, from Marty 57 at Marty Lipinski. Um, why play so much zone? Ken, I know you have to mix it up a bit. I would like to know the positive percentage of zone coverage. So I'm not sure what Marty means exactly by that. Um, just my own personal uh, quick opinion on this before Ken really dives into his stuff. I think that we saw in this Broncos game how much we were willing to challenge in man coverage. And I mentioned something else, Marty. A lot of times uh, we will play like a match zone or man on one side and zone on the other side or have the two concepts mixed together in some plays. So I think that what you're seeing, uh, what's sticking out to you, Marty, if I had to guess, is us playing so far off and not pressing uh, our corners pressing as much as we did under Wink. Uh, but as far as the the man zone per- percentages, Mike McDonald is definitely more fond and more willing to play zone. Um, but I don't think he's overkilled it. I think he's willing to play man when the situation presents itself. Ken, do you have anything? Uh, I, I mean, the, the thing I just say is that it's like, it's like a lot of things in football. Like, why don't we play more dime? Well, you play dime situationally. You play dime because the other team puts you in a position to play dime. If you're talking about playing nickel and base, that's completely forced by the offense. Basically, if they, you know, if they put a heavy set on the field, you play base. If they, if they put three wide receivers on the field, they put eleven on the field. You play nickel, and there's really no getting away from it. You're forced into those choices a lot of the time. With man and zone, there's there's an element of that too that's related to game situation. So you know, there's certain situations like the last drive against the against the Broncos. They're not going to play man defense in that situation. There's obviously a zone a time to play zone and uh, allow some plays underneath that allow them to gain some yards, just as they did and work up to a, what ended up being a 63-yard field goal. That was a fine result for the Ravens. Uh, there's other times when it, it doesn't really work. 
Uh, what you want to really make sure of when you do play zone is people don't screw up their assignments and they're not in the wrong place. And the Ravens had some of that earlier in the year, obviously that Miami game in particular, where people were too late to the football. Miami and Jacksonville, Ken. Those are the two games. And I'm going to tie this into Mark B. reading uh, at Mark the Ravens question. Can we have some perspective on the Ravens' inability to ice the game on defense, specifically in the two-minute mm-hmm. drill? It feels historically bad, but is it? Would you attribute it to personnel or scheme since it happened under Martindale last year? And he points to Wink well, week one with Wink. And, you know, the reason I tied these in together is because I look at the Miami game and I look at the Jacksonville game. And I thought both of those were a colossal failure on either the defensive coordinator or the players, whether he's calling it. If was that if that's the way he called it, it was a mistake. If the players are playing it wrong, then that's on the players, but also through the coaching. Um, but inability to ice the game. I just look at those two games. I think the Buffalo game, uh, you could put that on the offense easily. Mm-hmm. I think the Tampa Bay game, Tampa Bay never Good had the one. ball with the lead. Yeah. Um, you look at the Jets game, we gave up a garbage time touchdown. You look at the New Orleans game, we gave up a garbage time touchdown. We're up by two plus scores. So I I, I look at it's too, too many, but I, I think a little bit too much is made out of it. I'm looking at two games where it was a, a between the coordinators and the miscommunication, whatever it was. Uh, I'm not as concerned if it would be a, say, a talent problem, Ken, where our guys just aren't, <clears throat> excuse me, good enough, where we're not closing because we're getting beat. I think that this is the stuff that can be cleaned up, but time is running out for that. I'll, I'll toss in two more games. The, the Patriots game certainly goes on the sitting on a lead thing. They were able to get all those turnovers in the fourth quarter with a, and end up winning by 11, but they were really holding the lead. Uh, that was a little less comfortable than that for some of that period. And they scored 37 against New England. That's fantastic, right? By, by uh, the standards New England set defensively the rest of the year. The other one is the Giants game. And that was a, a really enormous choke of a game. I, 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 most of that goes on the offense, who gave the Giants some very short fields to work with in that game uh, after some brutal fourth quarter turnovers. So, uh, yeah, anyway, there's, I, I agree with you. I, I think – it's really the Miami game, uh, and and it stands out a, a, ahead of the others in terms of a uh, and, and the Jacks game in terms of a, a, a real blown game in the in the fourth quarter. Those were all the questions that I had, Ken. So I don't know if there are any more. Uh, okay, who plays in Queen's spot if he can't go this week? That's from Eric or at Cladnud. Cladnud. Hey, uh, shout out to at Cladnud. That is Dundalk backwards, Ken. That is a friend of mine, Eric, I know, from around the way in Dundalk. How are you doing, Mr. Cuppet? Um, hey, you know, it. they brought Malik in, it looked like, to replace uh, Patrick Queen, and that would be a, a, natural, um, a natural backup if the Ravens want to play two linebackers. I also wouldn't mind to see if, if Queen's inactive and Bynes is active to see Bynes at least on some passing downs, Ken. I think by far there's no uh, contest between him and Bleak when it comes to pass instincts. But, of course, Ken, what is the real answer here? You want to see – Activate Ajabo. There you go. Move Harrison inside linebacker. That's what I was there, seeing. There you go. That's uh, yeah. that's what I would love to see. Yeah. And we might see that this week. This would be a, this would be a good time. You can get him some snaps. I, 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 I'm – you know, obviously coming out of this game – the Harbaugh rule of thumb that you lose one game for every rookie you start is looking pretty good. Not, not because of Linderbaum play or Hamilton. They're obviously very significant, you know, 
players in the in a Raven scheme both in both directions. But the Daniel Falalele mess this week was it was it was tough, and uh, he did not play well, and and uh, really had one of the few fall off the table games for the Ravens this season in terms of uh, of how he scored. That's right, and if you know, thank goodness for Pat McCary. You can pick on him for this and that, and he will get beat. He will get just out physical, but the man is uh, is going to hold his own on most plays and at least be in the right spot. Even if he gets beat, he'll be, he'll be there. You know, he'll be there. Jason, always a pleasure to talk football with you. And we would do this for, I don't know how many hours if we really had the opportunity to, but draft night is a good time where we get a lot of hours together to talk. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work online. Yes. Uh, you know, find me, follow me at huddled up films on Twitter. And uh, they said on the first show, Wednesday evenings between eight 30 and 10 30 PM, Really encourage you to come over on YouTube, Huddle It Up Films YouTube as well, uh, to join me, my co-hosts, my guests that we have on, and we just talk Ravens football for two hours. Uh, it's a great to listen into, and I would really appreciate any kind of comments to help us guide the guide the conversation. So it would just be like uh, how Ken and I were talking tonight, but we would see these questions pop up live um, and, and do like a, a Q&A like we just did the question of uh, film study mailbag uh, for our first hour. And really for both hours, we'll also preview the next game coming up this week against uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So thank you once again, Ken football is family. I always appreciate being on. Outstanding. Thanks, Jason. Other folks out there who would like to uh, do a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you very quickly. One other thing I'll ask you, and I always feel comfortable asking this around the two hour and 30 minute mark of our of our you know in the second pod anyway the defense is if you know an older person in particular but this could be a young person who isn't you know clued in on podcasts or doesn't listen to podcasts a lot try and go to their computer at work or whatever and help them listen to the film study podcast uh directly off the website it's an easy way you don't have to download anything you don't have to you know put too much crap on your phone that you don't want, but you just listen to it at work or, or whatever. You have my permission to look at, to listen to it at work. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, if you would, please, uh, uh, please uh, take a chance on that. I know that there are, we have, we have coach who will tell us that he can teach a class and I'm sure he's taught those classes for a lot of years, but he can teach a class on uh, economics while he's listening to a podcast. Mercy. That's impressive. He's a, he's a multitasker, but uh, anyway, we really appreciate if we get that word of mouth out there. Jason, thanks again for being on. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate you. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you next time on Film Study. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.